ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask for your guidance and leading. And as we examine Jeremiah's prophecy and complaint, and we just thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse uh, chapter 19, Jeremiah was told to go buy a, a pot, give his prophecy, and then shatter the, the pot at the end of the prophecy. And then we left him, he went to the temple, and he started giving a prophecy, and that's where we left off at that prop. Now, Pasur, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasur smote Jeremiah, the prophet, and put him in stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was in the house of the Lord, was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasur brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks and said to Jeremiah and to him, the Lord has not, and Jeremiah said unto him, the Lord is not called you your, your name Pashur, but Magor Mishabib. For thus saith the Lord, because behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and all your friends, and, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them away captive into Babylon, and shall slay, the, or, and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city and all the labors thereof and all the precious things thereof and all the treasure of the kings of Judah will I give into the hand of the enemies, of their enemies, which shall spoil them and take them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all that dwell in your house shall go into captivity and you shall co come to Babylon and there you shall die and shall be buried there, you and your friends to whom you have prophesied lies." So this is the prophecy that he's given. He was first telling Israel that they were going to fall into judgment. And Pashur did not like hearing what Jeremiah was saying. And the very first thing, and it gives this whole thing about him, Pashur, the son of Emil, the priest who was also chief governor of the house of the Lord, heard the prophecy of Jeremiah. Now, I went through this because there is no commas hardly at all in that statement and I don't know if Pashur is the priest and the governor, or if he's the son of the priest and he's the governor. There's no, you know, nothing I read actually dealt with who he was and anything. Uh, most people believe that Pashur was a high-level priest and in charge of, of the temple, or deputy, deputy of the temple, which is what governor means. Uh, the governor here means that he is the um, deputy in charge of it. So he's probably a priest fairly high up in the priest order, but not the high priest. But he could be the priest of this, the high priest of this particular division, because there's 24 divisions and the high priest may not have been there and he may have been the priest in charge. And he's going out with fervor to stop Jeremiah from preaching. Because Jeremiah, to these people, was a traitor. He's telling them that Israel was going to fall, Judah was going to fall, that, that, that they were supposed to just surrender to Babylon and give up because God was going to, you know, take them, you know, put them under Babylon. Jeremiah was a traitor. And this isn't uncommon for the, for the priests, especially when they're pre preaching judgment and God bringing judgment upon the people to be looked at as uh, traitors to the nation. And this is how people even in America are looked at. If we you know, point out the fact that we're destroying America and all these things, people go, well, you're a traitor. You don't, you don't like us. You know, you, you're, you're against us. This is the way they looked at Jeremiah. And something that would be naturally true. You know, you're trying to motivate your people against this great enemy, and the prophet is saying, surrender. Or you're going into captivity because of your sin. You're going to look at him and say, you're, you're not the voice I want to hear, hear talking right now. You're, you're demotivating the people from going into battle. You're, you're, not, you're not wanting them, you know, they're not going to want to fight because of you. So he was considered a traitor. And so here we have in verse 2, Pashur smote Jeremiah the prophet. So he came in, smacked him, and says, put him in stocks that were, were in the high gate of Benjamin. Now this word for stock is actually kind of an interesting word. It's used four times in the scriptures. Uh, right, uh, and the word, in case you want to know, is ma ma pe pe 
which is irrelevant for you, but it's used four times. Two times it's translated as prison. Here in two times in Jeremiah 20, it's used for, as the word stocks. But it, stockade, you know, putting your hands, putting your hands and head in it is the word that, um, but from what it seems to be is that it was in a prison for those that they considered to be kind of insane, you know, having loose marbles, you know, so more of an insane asylum type deal. Because all four times it's re it used as a prison for the uh, prophets who they didn't want to be listening to. So what they would basically be doing is saying, you're crazy, we're going to put you away for a while so that you can't be speaking these things that are, that are craziness that we don't want to hear. And this is what they do to Jeremiah. They put him in this little prison cell and because they're thinking he's crazy. I mean, I don't know if they really thought he was crazy, but they definitely thought he was a traitor and somebody trying to demotivate the people. So they put him in some place where they could keep him separate from everybody. All right? Um, so it's kind of sad that they use the word stock when it's prison everywhere else. And so it says they put him in there, and this room that they, they put him into was near the house of the Lord or the temple. Another word for temple. So the first thing he does is he's speaking all these words, so the high priest smacks him across the face, you know, telling him to be quiet. Then they lock him up in this, this place where, you know, some, some form of prison, probably isolated, you know, you're crazy, you know, maybe, you'll, maybe overnight you'll learn to, to watch your tongue. And that's part of what they try to do all the time, you know, if, when they don't like what's being said, you'll be cast into some kind of crazy and lunatic men until you try to understand. Or if you were in Russia or, or China or uh, Hitler's Germany, you get put into a uh, concentration camp, which had the better term that they called them, re-education camps, where they tried to teach you to think the way you were supposed to think. So this is what they're doing with him. You know, with, when, you start, when you start not saying all these things to be, be a traitor, then we'll let you, let you out type deal. So he goes in there and it says, and it came to pass on the, on the morrow or the next day that Pashar brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah, the Lord hath, called your, hath not called your name Pashur, which, is, was, which was the man's name, Pashur, which, um, but he has called you, where did I, I lost my place, Magor Mishib, Mishabib, which means terror on all sides. Terror on all sides. So in other words, he's saying, you know, you have your name that, is, that you have, but God calls you terror on all sides. And, you know, what, what a name to be given. Uh, that he says, you know, you're, you're not going to be somebody that is even going to be, you know, you're, you're terror. And he's going to add to this why, why he's going to be called terror. Verse 4, for thus saith the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself, number one. You're going to be terrified of, your, of your, you know, yourself, uh, which is kind of a scary thought. And you know, when he gives the rest of the, the, the prophecy, we're going to see that, yes, he's going to feel terrified even for himself. And then he goes this, and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of your enemies. So all your friends that have been listening to you, you're... He is a priest. He's been speaking with the authority of God, supposedly. And this is the problem that Jeremiah had, Isaiah had, all the different prophets over the years. They would say something from God, and the priest and the other prophets, you know, the false prophets would come in, and they'd be tickling the people's ears and telling them what, you want, what they wanted to hear. You know, Jeremiah says, God's bringing judgment. Oh, God loves us so much. There were no, no way he'd bring judgment on this people and on, on this city and on this temple. So don't listen to Jeremiah. And this is the type of thing that Peshaw was doing. All right. He was giving false prophecies. And God says, fine, you're going to be a terror. And you're going to bring terror upon all these friends that you've been lying to and saying, this is what God says. He says that uh, they will fall by the sword of their enemies and your eyes shall behold it, and I will give Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. So here's Pasha saying, God's not going to judge us. God's not going to judge us. And Jeremiah saying, you're going to live to watch what you say, what I've said is true and what you're saying is not true happen. 
So this is quite a prophecy because this is one of the head guys. I mean, there's no reason for him to live. And yet Jeremiah says, you are going to live to see that I'm right and that you're wrong. This is quite a statement. And he goes, and, and you and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall slay them with the sword. So this is what is going to happen to Jerusalem. A large number of people are going to die in Jerusalem. A handful of the ones in Jerusalem get carried away to, into captivity. Outside of Jerusalem, most, it's the other way around. Most people are carried away into captivity and several, you know, and a smaller number die. So here he's saying, you, Pashur, you, you think you're so smart, you've been, you've been declaring God's, God's word you say, and it's opposite of what I say. God says, you're going to see that you're wrong, and you're going to see that I'm right, and you're going to watch your friends die. Now, when we read the prophecies of Jeremiah, Jeremiah kept telling the king and the people, God says, surrender and be subject to Nebuchadnezzar, and you're going to live. And they rejected the message. And then as the more they rejected the message, he started saying, fine, you're going to rebel? God is going to destroy you. And so they've rebelled. They've decided to do things their way. And God brings judgment. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing because how many times do we decide to do things our way and rebel against God knowing what he wants us to do? And the sad thing is, and this is the hardest thing for me, is when I've disobeyed, especially as the as a father and a husband, I've watched my family suffer probably more than I did. You know, because I could handle suffering for things that I, that I deserve, but to watch others suffer is hard. And this is what your Jeremiah is telling Peshat. You're, you're way off base with God, and you, get, you will get to watch others suffer because of your words, your actions. And at least for me, that would be worse than you know, okay, I'm dead, I can handle that. I can handle the big destruction against me, but to watch everybody suffer because of what I said or did would be a harsh penalty. And I think that was probably the harsh, harshest penalty. Even though when he first hears it, it's not that big a deal. Oh, I get to live. But when he starts watching everybody die around him that he cares about, that have been following him, that's going to be a big deal to him. At least I would think it would be a big deal to me. So I'm sure, it would be, I'm hoping that it would be to him as, as he's going on. And he says, and they will take them away and carry them to Babylon. And then he says, and you, Pashur, and all that dwell in your house shall go into captivity. Well, this is good news on one side. You know, his whole household will, his family will go into captivity. So he's not going to die. Good news, bad news, I don't know. The rest of his friends and everything are going to be dead but he goes into captivity. Now, they're going to go into captivity, and they're going to be separated for 70 years, which has already been told to them. For 70 years, they're going to go into captivity and be followed away. We don't really fully understand that so much, but for the Jews, this was a big deal. To be sent into captivity and not be in their homeland. Jewish person at that particular time to be kicked out of Israel and then Judah and be sent into another foreign country. Uh, be kind of like us in America being sent to China or Russia with all the oppression that they have, you know, going to a communist country and saying, okay, you've just lost all your freedoms. You know, that's how it would feel to us. And so he's sent into Babylon. And it says, your whole household will go into captivity and you will come into Babylon and there you shall die and be buried there. So you're not even going to be able to be buried back in home. You are going to go into captivity and you're going to be buried in a far land. That's kind of a scary thought to him because he's like, uh, I'd like to be buried back home. Why can't I go back home would be his thought. But he's going to say, you're going to go into captivity and you're going to die there and you're going to be buried where you are on, at this time. And, and all your friends and to whom you have, uh, and you should be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. 
So they're going to go into captivity. Now, one of the things we find after the end of the 70 years of captivity, Cyrus gives the people the permission to go back, and a very small percentages of, 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 a percentage of Jews decide to go back. After 70 years, they have made their homes, their businesses, and basically they have become citizens of the cities that they were put, put into around the, the Babylonian uh, empire. And when it was time to go back home, many of them didn't want to go back home. And so that was probably the saddest thing that, all of, that happened out of all of this, that so few went back. So few, if you remember when we studied Ezra and Nehemiah, when they rebuilt Jerusalem, nobody wanted to live there. They actually had a lottery that one-tenth of the people in the land were forced to move to Jerusalem because they go, we have to have people living in the capital. So they said, okay, we're going to take one in ten of all the people and you're going to go, you are going to move to Jerusalem. So this is how bad things were getting. Nobody wanted to go to Jerusalem. There was no temple, no walls, no city, no businesses. Nobody wanted to be there. And so there, this was part of this prophecy. All, everybody was taken out of the kingdom and worked on. So this is his prophecy against Pashur. Pashur is abusing him. And now we're going to look at the last part of this chapter is the complaint of Nehemiah. Now this is the funny, or not Nehemiah, excuse me, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah spends a lot of time complaining to God because nobody's listening to him. And uh, so here is, here is the complaint of Jeremiah, starting in verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and, and have prevailed. I am in derision today. Everyone walks, uh, daily, everyone walks me. For since I spoke, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the, the defaming of many, fear on every side, report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Preadventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him. And we shall take our revenge. So I'm going to stop there. All right, so, oh Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. I'm not sure why he felt God deceived him. Because right from the very beginning, God said, I will make you as iron to these people. They're not going to listen to you. But I think in his heart, he, he never fully listened to God from the very beginning. All he knows is I'm giving God's word and the people will want to hear it. Now, my experience is that most people don't want to hear God's word. And even when we're Christians, sometimes we don't want to hear God's word because it, it hurts, our, hurts our feelings and makes us feel bad because we're not being lifted up and praised and, and honored the way we think we might want to be. But Jeremiah basically is saying, God, every time I speak, I get beat up, I get put into prison, I get dumped into the cisterns, you know, God, you know, I am your prophet. Things are supposed to go good for me because I am your righteous one. Now, the sad thing is nowhere in the scriptures do we see that being true over, you know, over a long period of time. But yet that's the way most everybody thinks. Moses always being criticized and, and, you know, and he was considered one of the great prophets of Israel, but the people of his day wanted to stone him on many occasions, wanted to you know, turn away from him. Uh, Jeremiah had, uh, Joshua had the same problems with people. Over and over again, no matter who you look at, you see that they had problems with the people because God's word was harsh at times. God loves us, but he's not going to let us stay in our sin. And that bothers people when, when God speaks and says, this is your sin, you need to stop it. And people go, well, God, I don't like you telling me I'm sinning. I, and I, I understand because I've seen it many times in my own life. I read something going, uh, God, uh, I don't like that verse. <laughs> that verse says that I'm doing things wrong and I've never noticed that before. And Jeremiah is saying, God, I don't understand this. I'm speaking for you. I'm your prophet. 
and all I do is get abused. Haggai could have said the same things because they were abusing him. They weren't paying attention to him. They're saying, God, I, I just speak your word. How, how come all of this is going on? And we also, we've all been there at some time in our life. God, I'm just serving you. Why are people being so mean and nasty to me? Why aren't people loving me because I'm giving you your word? And you're going, this is getting hard. And this is where Jeremiah, Jeremiah is at this point just fed up. He is in his emotions and he's been serving God. He speaks for God. And then he goes, I am in derision daily and everyone mocks me. They're all making fun of me. God, every time I open my mouth, they make fun of me. They, I'm, I'm the butt of every joke. I'm the, I'm the laughing stock out there. Nobody's taking me serious. And God, I just am tired of this. How long was he there? Well, he's toward the end of his ministry, but he preaches through four kings. All the wicked kings, but... All in Jerusalem? All in Jerusalem. Wow. So he's there for over 30, 40 years preaching. And he feels like he's just the joke. And nobody's listening to him. They're laughing at him. And you can picture this, you know, God is going to be in destruction. And they're going, Jeremiah, look at all the prophet going on here. You know, why don't you just shut up and go, go about, you know, go talk to other people. You know, you don't even know what you're talking about. And the same thing Haggai went through. They were in a great period of time, great prosperity. And he's saying, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And people look at him and saying, what is wrong with you? Can't you see all this good stuff? Up, up until about the last two years in America, if we'd have said destruction and, and troubles, troubles coming, people go, well, look, the stock market's skyrocketing, say, you know, sales are up. You know, who, who would ever believe this? And now we could go, now if we said it, people go, oh, well, maybe. But there are times, and this is when Jeremiah and Haggai and these prophets were prophesying in a time like we just came out of. Low prices, high market going on, everybody making making good incomes and money and having their money go a long ways. And they were looking at him saying, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, look how good time, you know, happy days are here again, you know. And, <laughs> you know, what, what are you telling us about all these bad things? <laughs> and, he's, and he's going, they're making fun of me, God. I'm speaking your words and they're making fun of me. Verse 8 says, for since I spoke, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord of God has, was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily or a scorn. So he, he's giving God's word and they're looking at him as he's a fool. He's a fool. And it's kind of interesting when you see things coming and you know they're coming and you tell people they're coming and then they go, well, you're just being foolish. You're, you know, you're, it's not, it's not going to be there. And you so much want to say when it does happen, I told you so. But that's, you know, I actually feel sad when they don't listen and prepare. But he's saying, I, I have cried violence and spoil. You know, because that's what God said. Violence is coming. The, the city is going to be over, overthrown. And he's been doing this for several kings. You know, a whole bunch of bad kings, but several kings that he's been, been under saying, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And they've seen bits and pieces of it. But for the most part, things are going okay. Their taxes are high because they're having to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar over all this time and to Egypt and all these different places. But hey, we're making money and don't care that taxes are big, you know, that type of stuff. And he goes, I'm being made to be a joke. So he's a little upset. God, you have made me a laughingstock, a joke. And you know, if you read any of the stories of any of these Christian uh, Jewish leaders and great king, uh, great leaders. How many times did people think that they were foolish? You know, uh, we see Daniel. Daniel gets all kinds of credit, but you know he gets looked at negatively uh, by other people. Now the kings usually liked him, but the other rulers did not like him. Uh, we have all the different prophets. Isaiah, one of the great prophets of Israel, was ended up that he was sawn in two. They stuck him in a log and sawed him in two to be, to be killed, to kill him. Why? Because he kept saying God was going to bring judgment. God's going to bring judgment. God's going to bring judgment. So they said, we are now tired of hearing you. And they killed him. 
that you're not going to kill Jeremiah because God says, I'm not going to let them kill you. But Jeremiah wishes that he had been killed. He's going, God, I am tired of speaking for you. And this is the next statement is one that I quote, quote law in verse 9. Then he said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Jeremiah has come to the end of it. He says, I've been preaching all this time. I've been teaching. And God, nobody's listening. They're making fun of me every time I open my mouth. I am going to stop talking. And then he goes, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. He goes, I tried not to speak for God. And his words burned in my mouth, and I could not do anything but speak his word. I've been there. I've been there at times saying, God, this, I can't say this. And, it, and I didn't say it, and all of a sudden it was like, it literally does sometimes feel like fire burning. And it's like, I don't know, I can't say I can, no, I'm not going to say it. And you've got to say it. <laughs> this is where Jeremiah was. I am not, God, I am so tired of being the butt of all the jokes. I am so tired of being abused. I am not going to speak in your name. And it doesn't tell us how long it was that he went through this condition. I don't think it was that long. But it could have been a long time. I don't know. But, he's, but he said his word burned in, in my heart and was like a fire in my bones. He goes, I'm, I'm on fire because of all of this. And so here we have him. He's feeling deceived because people aren't receiving him. God's word is not being, being accepted. And he goes, I'm, it, I don't want to speak anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore because I am tired of being attacked. I'm tired of being assaulted. How many people have thought that way over time? And again, I love reading the biographies of different Christians and finding them they say the same thing. I got tired of being the center of the jokes. I got tired of people not listening. I've decided I wasn't going to speak, and God made it that I had to. You know, and this is, this is what is important, because God is the one that fills our mouth. And if we don't allow his words to come out, they're just going to pile up, and they're going to burn to the point where I just have to let them out. And you'll, you'll be in the same place. Verse 10 says, For I heard the defaming of many, uh, which is literally uh, the prevailing, uh, the evil reports of people. Right? The defaming. They, they spoke evil about him. And not only was he the butt of the joke, he was the, the blame of everything. Anytime something bad happened that wasn't the total destruction, they're going, it's all his fault. You know, he's the one... He's the one speaking all these negative things into the air and, and causing everybody to, to think wrong. and to, So they blamed him and said that he had the wrong character. He was a bad guy. And this is what's going on, especially in our world today. When Christians take a stand and say, this is what God says is true, people go on, well, you're just a terrible person. How could you be so mean-hearted and and negative and intolerant and all the other words that they use. It's the kind of stuff that was going on to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you are just so intolerant. You're mean. You're, you've got nothing good to say to anybody. Well, no, you're not. You're worshiping idols on every street corner. You're, you're not worshiping God. Uh, so he could have been saying, I don't have anything good to say because you're not worshiping God. Start worshiping God and maybe we'll have some good positive messages coming out. But they're speaking evil of him. It's all his fault. And the same thing we hear in today's world. We Christians are blamed for all the bad because we're so negative toward, toward what they want to do that it's all our fault. All the bad is our fault. And it's not, but that's what they will try to say. And he says, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it all my familiars, or men of peace, is literally what that means, watched for my halting. In other words, they were looking for him to make a stumble. This halting is a stumble. They were waiting for him to not live up to what God said to do. All right? And how many times do people watch Christians to look for that 
hypocrisy, they will call it. Now, now none of us as Christians, I hope, have ever said, I'm perfect, because we know better. But yet the world will be looking for us to make a mistake and then jump on it and saying, we knew you were a hypocrite. And this is what they were waiting for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, when are you going to stumble in what you believe and we'll catch you? Uh, when are you going to speak uh, a lie or sleep with somebody or whatever it was they were looking for him to, to stumble in? When are we going to find you at somebody other, some other altar praying to some other god? And they're watching him, saying, is there any place where this man is going to stumble and we can charge him? We can charge him with being a hypocrite. And so here's where they're at with this. They're going, uh, they're, they're watching me for this halting, saying, pre-adventure he will be enticed and we shall prevail against him and shall take our revenge on him. Enticed, uh, be persuaded to do something wrong. So, and I think they probably were trying to set him up as well, putting people in his way to try to get him to stumble. And this happens even today where they will take a good, godly person and do whatever it takes to get them to get mad and say something to uh, huh? antagonize, get them to, to uh, sleep with them, uh, you know, say something, you know, be, be compromised in some way. They were looking for that. And I'm sure that they tried to set them up. I mean, this is not new. This strategy is not new to our generation. I'm sure there were people in there trying to set him up. Well, Jeremiah, what, you know, all you got to do is buy this little thing. And yeah, granted, it's an idol, but you know, it's, nobody's going to know. Uh, and if he had bought it, believe me, everybody in Jerusalem would have known. So, and I can't say that's exactly what would happen, but that kind of stuff. You know, something, they offered him something. You know, bribes. If you would just say this, you know, this nice thing once, we'll give you, we'll give you a, you know, a nice sum of money and you won't have to, you know, you'll be able to buy whatever you want with it. So they were trying to do whatever they could to entice him. But he understood, you know, so that they would then come back and attack him for it. And this is the problem. Satan does this all the time with us. You know, it's just a little sin. Nobody will ever care about it. You know, and then as soon as we sin, he attacks us and other people watching us attack us, you know, because we failed. And he'll make us feel, you know, he's on the one side saying, God will forgive you. There won't be any problem. And then as soon as we commit that sin, how awful. How could you call yourself a Christian and have done that? You know, God will never forgive you for that. You know, you got, just got done telling me he would. Now you're going to tell me he won't, you know, but that's Satan. And this is, the, this is what he's saying here. These people are looking for me to make a simple mistake so that they can attack me. And Jeremiah was very cognizant of this problem going on, that the people were out to get him. Now, and many people would say, well, he was paranoid. No, he knew there was no paranoia in this. He knew they were out to get him. They did not like him. And they would have hopped on anything to, to attack him. We as Christians are often called paranoid because we know that the world is out to get us. And especially in today's culture, you know, we speak the truth and people attack and, 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 uh, and try to tear us you know, to pieces. And then when we complain, they're going, well, you guys are just paranoid. You know, it's not a problem. Well, no, it's a real problem and we see it. But because nobody else is seeing it, they can get away with saying that we're paranoid, we're, we're concerned, and we, you read it all the time. Well, you Christians are just screaming prejudiced and, you know, you don't even know what it is like. You know, uh, you've, you've been in the top for so long, it's now your turn to be in the bottom and, and all these different things that they, they come back at us with. And this is where Jeremiah was. You know, he's preaching to a people who are supposed to be following God. They're not following God and they're looking for him to, to fall so that they can attack him. And I feel sorry for Jeremiah because he was in a very hard age. But his age isn't that far f removed from where we're at in our country, especially in our country, but the world in general, where we had righteousness and now we have little to no righteousness and people aren't wanting righteousness. And if we preach and talk about righteousness, we get attacked, just like Jeremiah did in his day. Verse 11, 
But the Lord is with me as a mighty, ter terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgiven. But, O Lord of hosts, that tries the righteous and sees the reins in the hearts, let me see your vengeance on them, for unto you have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, sing you the, you the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. So right in the middle of his complaint, because he's going to complain again after this, but right in the middle of the complaint, Jeremiah gets a moment of clarity into his, into his brain and saying, hold it, God's still in charge. I love this because this gives me hope when I'm suffering and having a hard time and I'm ready to complain to God, I know that he's still in charge. And this is what he says, you, O Lord, uh, but the Lord is, a, is with me a mighty, terrible one. In other words, he is so strong, he is my defender. He's actually starting to recognize, God, you've told me you're going to make me strong, and I haven't been beat up yet, I, you know, beyond what I can, you know, to be torn down. He goes, God, you are a terrible one, a mighty terrible one, and this doesn't mean bad, this means awesome. You know, awesome. You are the awesome one. You are the mighty one. You know, you are not, you know, it's not using terror in the I'm afraid type situation, but he has said, you are the one that brings terror to my enemies. Uh, you, are, you are the victorious one, the, aw the awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They're looking for me to stumble. God, you will ensure that they stumble. Now, the only problem with this statement is so many times that we want God to have them stumble yesterday. And God allows them to go for sometimes months, years, decades without stumbling. Which makes it hard on us because we're going, God, why are they prospering? Why aren't they falling all over themselves? And I'm under pressure because of all of this. And David said, why do the heathen rage and the nations prosper? You know, so he's saying the same thing. And this is the complaint that goes on all the time. God, we're righteous. We're following you. And it doesn't seem like anything's going our way. All these bad people that are awful and not following you seem to be prospering. And the problem that we have with this is that we need to be careful about what we think we see. Because when we think we see them prospering, if we really get to know them, they're probably not prospering. And we know that that's the case even in our day and age because how many times do we read some uh, singer or athlete or actor going into rehab for drugs and alcohol and we look at them saying, well, you've got everything. You've got, you've got all these Oscars and Tonys and golden, golden albums and platinum albums and you've got the big house and the servants and everybody, everybody's following you. What do you have to be so sad that you have to get addicted to drugs and alcohol for well, because none of that stuff actually fulfills. And we need to be very careful when we look at these people thinking they've got everything. Because it just shows how materialistic we are in ourselves. And I understand that you, know, you look at them going, man, they got everything. Why? You know, but they don't because they don't know God. And this is what he's saying is that you know, they shall not prevail. He goes, and they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And this idea of confusion that, you know, that he's talking about is so important. How often are people confused? You know, we talk to people all the time. When we, the more we walk with God, the more non-confused we are. You know, and I find it so interesting to talk to people in today's world, especially the ones that think they're smart, and they'll, they'll say diametrically opposed things in the same sentence. And they'll, you know, and if it's not in the same sentence, it will be in the same conversation. Right now we're dealing with the abortion thing. Well, I believe that life is precious, but I, will, I believe you can be able to kill this, uh, this baby. Well, they won't say baby. This, you know, get rid of this fetus in the womb, and they usually won't even go that far, this blob of tissue in the womb because it's inconvenient for me. 
So you don't believe in life. Oh, yeah, I really believe in life. All right, well, but you'll kill the baby. Well, it's not a baby yet. We got people that are so worried about the environment that they're going, well, we just might as well kill all the people. You know, and, the, and the agenda right now for the, for the ultimate extreme of the, of the green movement is that there should not be more than a half a million people alive in the world. Now, why they think they're going to be part of the half million that live, I don't know. But that means they want to kill off trillions of people to protect the environment. But if you ask them, they'll all believe that life is important. I am confused. I don't think straight. And that's what sin does to us. It, doesn't, it keeps us from thinking straight and even rational in most cases. Why does anybody get addicted to alcohol and, and, and all the drugs out there? Because they really weren't thinking. Why do most people start getting their first drink, or their first cigarette or whatever? They want to look cool and be part of the group. I can't think of anybody who just said, well, I think I'm going to sit here and drink all night in my own house and get, get, get addicted to dr uh, alcohol. When did their first drink in? They were at a party with a bunch of friends and they were handed, handed the drink and it was like either drink it or look like a, look like a uh, bozo in the, in the group. So you drank. You know, the very first time I ever had a cigarette and I thought it was the worst thing in the world, but it was the same thing. I was in a huge group of people and they were all smoking. I was the young guy in the group too and they're going, here, try this. I took one drag and go, why would you guys ever do this to yourself? And I had enough courage to, to tell them that I wasn't going to do it anymore. In verse 12, but O Lord of hosts that tries the righteous. And this word for try literally means to assay. You know, you take, you take a metal in and you go, I want to know, is this pure gold? You took it into the assayer's office. They dropped the chemicals on it. And you would end up saying, yes, it's pure gold or no, it's not gold. He says, God, you're the one that proves the righteous. You're the one that says, is it real righteousness or not? Or is it fake? And seize the reins of the heart. And this is kind of an interesting word. The reins literally is the kidneys. That's where the, that's where the Jewish people thought your seat of your emotion was. We, we talk about being the heart. And to a degree, they had the heart. But to them, it's kind of like we will say, I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. It's the same idea for them when they say the kidneys. The, the pit of the stomach. I, I feel the tension way down deep inside me. And it says, God tests you at the deepest level. He, che he, pull, he checks the reins of your heart, uh, the innermost being of who you are. And he says, he's, he's, he tries the righteous, he, he sees the reins. And then he goes on something, let me see your vengeance on them for unto you have I opened up my cause. God, I'm complaining to you. I want to see them get what they deserve. Now, he's been preaching that they're going to go into captivity, that, that, that the people are going to die on, by the sword. I don't think he really fully understands what he's asking for at this point in time. All right? He's a little frustrated. And how many times do we say things in our frustration that we don't necessarily mean? Here he is. God, I just can't wait for you to do this. I want to see these things happen. I want to see them get what they deserve. And I don't think, because he's later on, he's going to cry about the, what, what's happening to them. The book of Lamentation, which he wrote also, was his tears at the destruction of Jerusalem and the people. But here he's saying, God, get them. <laughs> I've been telling them they're going to be destroyed. It's time for you to come and, come and give them what they, what they deserve. We need to be careful about these kind of uh, thoughts and, and maybe prayers in our life, these precatory prayers. God, and yes, I understand people deserve to be judged. But you know, we need to be careful. I am to the, I have grown enough that I don't want to see anybody get hurt, even if they deserve it. Because what does it mean? Because one thing I know for sure, just as he's told Peshaw, it's not just going to be you, it's going to be your friends and your family. And I've lived long enough that I've watched when people get what they deserve, their family gets hurt. Their friends get hurt. Sometimes their family and friends die because of their sin and their judgment. So I really don't want to be praying this kind of a prayer in my life. You know, I know God will bring these judgments on them at certain times, and I just want to be in a place where I can say, God, I want to be where I love them and can try to help them when it happens.
but I have seen too many people where the judgment has fallen. And, it, you know, I'd be happy if it just fell on them. You know, take out that person who was really mean and nasty, but the problem is it hits their family as well. And that bothers me. When their fam- but even if God just took them out, their family suffers. Because you take out the father and, you know, now you have no income, you have no, no st- stability, and you still have a problem. So I don't even want to see that as much because still the family suffers from that activity. Yes, the person might deserve it. And I know that God knows what's best, but I'm not going to make this prayer, but I see it oftentimes here. And, and Jeremiah saying, I'm so tired of this God, give it, give it to them. It's time for them to get what they deserve. And probably every great leader has said this about their people at some point in time. You know, we, we read through very few of these leaders never said, God, go, you know, they deserve this, you know, just let them have it. Uh, if you read through, and, and we said this when we were going through the Pentateuch, there was kind of a, a game between God and Moses where sometimes God would say, Moses, these are your people, I'm going to destroy them. And, and then there would be Moses going back, uh-uh, they're not my people, they're your people, God. Uh, and there's times that Moses would say, God, just destroy these people. They're not worth it. And God says, no, they're my people. And there was kind of a game going on between them as they're, you know, debating on whose people they were and whether they deserved to be, be kept or not. And, and so we see that oftentimes. And then he goes to this very beautiful little thing in the middle of this. Sing unto the Lord, praise you the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of the evil doers. All of a sudden he gets this kind con- confirmation. God, you are the deliverer. You care for the poor. And this is where we need to be staying at in our, in our side, in our sight. God cares. Even when it looks like he doesn't care, <laughs> even when it looks like nothing's working our way, God cares. And this is just another way of basically saying Romans 8.28. God cares, he's going to protect the poor. Romans 8 completes it that God will work out all things for good. And here's where he's saying, God, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to give up. I'm going to say, yes, you, you are the one that cares and you are the one that protects. And then for the last part of this, he goes back to, he goes back to being a little critical. Verse 14, cursed be the day wherein I was born, let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto you, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. Let him hear the cry of the morning and the shouting at noontime, because he slew me not in the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and that her womb to be always great with me. Wherever came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame. Now I was reading this because we've been studying the book of Job. <laughs> and I'm reading this and this was Job's complaint in, in chapter 3 of Job. I wish I was never born. I wish my mom had never, never heard the good news. I wish my dad had never heard the good news. It's almost like he's repeating Job. All right, I am just, and this shows us how tired he is. He's been preaching for, for decades, and nobody seems to be listening. Did Noah say that, I wonder? Probably. It doesn't tell us. But Noah built an ark for 120 years, yeah, yeah, and, I, and Hebrews said that he preached also during that 120 years, and he got nobody coming into the ark with him and his family. And those were just his family, and he was the patriarch, so he could have just said, get in, because, get in because I'm dad, get in. Because it doesn't look like they were all that righteous either. You know, the first thing that Ham does is, is uh, cause problem for his dad after he gets drunk, you know. And so it's, uh, but yeah, you know, did, did Noah get a little fed up? Because you know he's got to be the laughing stock of everybody for 120 years. You know, look at that boat. Look at that boat you're building. You know, what kind of fool are you building a boat in the middle of the middle of the land? And you're talking about what rain? What's rain? You know, what do you mean the water is going to fall from the sky? It's never fallen from the sky for for 1,400 years. You know, 1,400 years, and you're saying it's going to fall from the sky? Yeah. And so this is where he's at. He's kind of you know, you're right. And Noah's probably had the same thing. How about being Abraham? God is going to make me a great nation. 
Where were all your kids? I don't know, but God's going to make me a great nation. I get one kid. And he, I'm sure he didn't, that he told other people about God's word, especially at the beginning. God's going to make me a great nation. He promised to make me a great nation. And they're looking at him going, uh, yeah, where's your, where's your nation? This one kid is, is a nation. Your, your God is a strange God. He calls one a nation. Uh, so yes, this happens all the time. Where we're just saying, I am just so tired of it. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. In other words, he's saying, I wish I never had a birthday. I wish, I wish that I had never been born. This is pretty strong language. God, my life has been so bad that I wish I had never been born. Now, he's not being attacked quite as bad as Job, but he's got the same words. And then he goes, Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born, and making him very glad. All right? So he says, The person who came with the message to my dad, I want that guy cursed. <laughs> because I should never have been born. My father should not have been happy that I was born. And which kind of indicates he was probably the firstborn because that would have been the great, the great child to be born. You've got, your, you've got your man child because that first child, that first male child was the big deal to them. They were going to get the double blessing. They were going to take the family name. They would be the patriarch after, after, the, after the father died. And that, and that was a big deal. And he says, I, the person who even gave that news. Then it gets really kind of strange here. Uh, let him be, be as, the, as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. Let him hear the cry of the morning and the shouting of noontimes. Let him be one of these cities that have been, been destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah, all these other cities. Let him be like one of these cities that have been destroyed. Then we get this very interesting. Because he slew me not in my mother's womb. All right, what's he saying there? I wish it had been a miscarriage. I wish I had died in my mother's womb, then I wouldn't have had to deal with this. Then he paints a really interesting picture. Or that my mother might have, have been my grave. And the womb always great with me. So he's saying, yeah, I, hope I, I wish I had died in there and then not even been discharged. Now what a, I mean, how, how bad is he feeling? He goes, I want mom to be pregnant forever. You know, to, to have me in her belly forever. This is what he's saying here. This is kind of strange picture. You know, the part, I kind of understand. I just wish I had died and she could have gotten on. But this part about being great with him for, forever, you know, I wish he had just stayed pregnant and never delivered me. And possibly even be dead. I don't know how, you know, that he, they said he'd be my grave. So he said, I wish I had just stayed in my mother's st- stomach and just stayed there. Now, I feel, I would have felt sorry for his mother. You know, being, having a baby in there that was never going to come out. And that's what he's saying in there. I just wish I had never come out. Been, been in there forever. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow or toil and, and disquiet, disquiet that my days should be consumed with shame. He is down. He is down at this point. All right. And you know, this is something that is actually very good for us to, to consider when we struggle with what God has called us to do, it's not necessarily wrong to complain to God. All right? Now, his, his goes out through all of, all of history, but his complaint is to God. But God is also in that little place there giving him a little bit of comfort, a little bit of praise, and he's going to come back around. God's still going to stay. And I love it that God did not reject Jeremiah because of his depression that he's in. God says, all right, you've got it out of your system. Let's go forward. I am your care. I am your caregiver. Elijah does the same thing. He goes up on Mount Carmel, calls down fire from heaven, kills 450 prophets of Baal, and Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And what's he do? He runs for his life. And then complains to God that he's the only one that hasn't bowed his knee and there's nobody other than him and he got depressed. And that's when you have the story of the, the fire and the wind and the, and the tornado and all of that. And God says, and he said, I heard his still, small voice. 
And what did God basically say? What are you doing down here? This isn't where you're supposed to be. And it says that he ran there, and I think he was in such terror that he ran there very quickly. And then God says, go back to where you're supposed to be. What did he do to Jonah? When Jonah ran, he sent Jonah back. All right? And we see this over and over. When people try to run from God, God sends them back and gives them a choice to, are you going to serve me or are you going to lose your life? Oftentimes, we run from God. And God has to kind of slap us upside the head and say, uh, this isn't where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be someplace else. You're supposed to be over here doing this. Jeremiah is being told just that. You know, he's, he's complaining about God, but God is going to keep him in Jerusalem preaching the word and going back to where he says, your word burned in my mouth and I couldn't help but speak it. You know, in this case, he didn't run literally and, and run away as some of these other guys did, but he, he had emotionally run away. God, I am not going to speak anymore. I am so tired of being the butt of the jokes. I'm so tired of people making bad reports of me. I am so tired of all this stuff. I am not going to do anything. I wish I was dead because of how bad things are. His focus at this moment is not on God. His focus is on himself. And it is easy for us to do that. It is easy for us to focus on ourselves rather than on God. And this is why it's so important that we stay in the word, we stay focused on being taught, we stay focused on being in fellowship. And, you know, I've talked to so many people, and I've just recently talked to another person, you know, that say, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, it is absolutely true. You can be a Christian and not go to church, because church is not necessarily part of the Christ being a Christian. But God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other to challenge and to be taught and to, to recognize when things are going good and to pray for each other and encourage one another because when we don't, we'll be focused on all my problems and how bad the world is and Satan is really good about focusing us on, I mean, our natural desire is to focus on the bad and Satan will amplify what's bad. It's not an abnormal because like I say, just pick out any of the characters in the Bible and all of them have some place where they have a pity party. <laughs> Almost all of them. I mean, very few of them. Jo Joseph in Egypt does not, we're not ever told about a pity party, but I'm sure he had some pity parties. You know, sold into slavery. You know that there was, had to have been some time when he's complaining to God, God, how, why am I in slavery? And then just when things are looking up, he gets, gets accused of a crime he didn't commit and gets thrown into prison. God, why am I doing all these good things? Now look where I'm at. Nothing is said bad about him, but you know there had to be some hard times. Daniel's the other one that we don't see any negatives being said about him. He got cast into the lion's den and all that, but we don't see anything negative about him. But I am sure there were times when he's going, you know, I was a prince, now what am I here in the middle of this, you know, in these, these crazy Babylonians that, that worship all these gods and stuff. God, how are... You know, why am I here? What am I going to be doing? Toward the end of his life, he started recognizing how God had used him. He used him to minister to Nebuchadnezzar. But you know, he went through Nebuchadnezzar all the way to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and he was a nobody in that, in that one. Picture that, okay. I've gone from being influential with Nebuchadnezzar, and now with his grandson, who cares? And they finally called him when they were handwriting on the wall, and the queen goes, you know, your, your grandfather had this man who can interpret, interpret dreams. Maybe he can you know, define this. And he gets his reward to be in a third, third in the kingdom. And then he goes back to power. Darius. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We thank you that you do show us examples of people that do get broken and complain and, and gripe, but you still use them, which is great news for us that you will use us no matter how we feel about what's going on and the times that we fall as well, you will continue to use us. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. 
You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.